Welcome to Gateway Community Church, Webster, Texas. We're so glad you found us, and we hope this message helps you discover more about God and His unique plan for your life. Well, I, I do want to also just aff- affirm the value of those journey groups and hope that uh, some of you will check that, that out. And you can also just on, on your, your phone, you can go to our website, mobile website, and uh, click on the Find It, and all that information is also there, very easy to find. We're beginning a, a, a series today, as, as has been mentioned, uh, called Questions and, and Apologetics. And so I wanted to start you with a, a few questions to think about. Uh, that kind of show sometimes questions can go all kind of directions. You know, like for instance, at the movie theater, which armrest is yours? <laughs> Ever thought about that? Uh, I heard right and I heard left. When does it stop being partly cloudy and become partly sunny? Um, if a bunch of cats jump on top of each other, is it still called a dog pile? And, and here's one, if Wiley e. Coyote had all that money, some of you don't know who Wiley e. Coyote is, and I'm sorry, but for those of you who do, if he had all that money, they could all buy all that stuff from Acme, why couldn't he buy a meal? Just, you know, just saying. And finally, if pros and cons are opposites, wouldn't the opposite of progress be Congress? Think about it. Over the last couple of weeks, uh, we have been asking you to share questions, either through this card or on our website or through our Facebook page, that many of you have, of your questions that either you've asked or people have asked you about the Christian faith for this series, Q&A, Questions and Apologetics. I'm going to explain that in just a moment. Questions come naturally to any of us who spend any time thinking about God. Some of them we can figure out. Some of them take some time to, to dig and search. Some don't seem to have any obvious answers, and some just give us brain aches, if we're honest. So over the next few weeks, we want to examine some of the more challenging questions that many of you have expressed to us that, that in fact, all of us who are followers of Jesus Christ face, and many who are outside the faith who are exploring it also face, with the idea, is it still rational for us to believe in the face of some of these questions. And, and obviously, there are some who don't think it's rational, and, and that's been the case since the beginning of Christianity some 2,000 years ago. The apostle Peter wrote, always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Now, the Greek word for defense in that scripture here is the word apologia, which was originally used as a, um, a speech of defense or an answer given in reply. In other words, the defendant in a trial was allowed to refute the charges with a defense, literally to speak away. Apo means away, logia means speak, to speak away the accusation. And from that we get the word apologetics, the idea of apologetics, and there are several examples of the apostles explaining or defending their faith. A few examples, Acts 17, 2, as was Paul's question, custom, he went to the synagogue service and he used the scriptures to reason, that's that word, with the people. Acts 26, Paul replied, what I am saying is true and reasonable, or Paul wrote to the Philippians, God has given me the work of defending 
the gospel. And this was necessary for those early followers of Christ to explain their faith because they lived in a culture that did not accept or in many cases even understand Christians' beliefs. But the truth of the matter is, if we're honest, if we're looking at our world around us today, Christian beliefs and values are not as well accepted culturally in our world today, especially here in North America, as they were even a few decades ago. And so some have suggested that in many ways, you and I, especially those of us who have made the decision to follow Christ, in many ways, we are facing more and more of what those first believers faced 2,000 years ago. And therefore, Paul's words are just as true for us today. So it makes sense that we need to deal with questions and apologetics. And those first Christians dealt with this thing called apologetics in, in about three major areas or three facets of concern. First, in the area of vindication or proof. In other words, Christianity is reasonable. It's rational. To, to, they wanted to develop a case to, to demonstrate that it was, it was reasonable to believe these things. Second, defense. In other words, Christianity is also not unreasonable because Christianity was being attacked from, from a number of different places, and they wanted to demonstrate that Christianity was credible. And finally, uh, this is the way some of them put it, refutation or refuting. Um, I don't like that word particularly, but I, I, I understand what it is. And that is this idea that, that those who hold other value systems or other belief systems, that their thoughts, in fact, may well be unreasonable or irrational if they were subjected to the same level of scrutiny that Christianity often is. And so the, dem the purpose there is to demonstrate fallacies and other beliefs, though we've got to always remember that disproving beliefs and other value system it does not in and of itself prove Christianity. It only disproves something else. Uh, one of the websites I've been looking at says, apologetics aims both to strengthen the faith of the faithful and to remove obstacles to faith for those who do not believe. And yet, this is really important. I want to I be real clear about this. The goal of apologetics is not to beat someone else up for their beliefs. And why am I saying that? Because that's one of the things that people often say about Christians is that, that we can be so unbending or so cruel or so, so dogmatic or so arrogant about what we think and believe. If we cannot talk about our faith in love and with love, guys, we have missed the point. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he said, if I had the gift of prophecy... And if I understood all God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, in other words, knew everything there is, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but didn't love others, I would be nothing. Do you hear what he's saying? It's not just what we know or what we believe, but it is how we then communicate that to others. If there is not love, we have missed the boat entirely. We can be 100% right technically, and 100% wrong in terms of God. And that's really important for us to get. It is not a contest, but a genuine desire to, to defend the faith and help another come to faith in Jesus. And we do this because the love of Christ 
lives in us. It's, it's seeing every other person we encounter, whether they are a Christian or an atheist or anywhere in between, as, and this is really important, as a person we believe created by God, in God's image, of real value, real worth in the eyes of God, for whom God, in fact, sent his son to die for, whether they know it or not, whether they believe it or not, he loves them very, very much. And, and if they don't act loving, it's no excuse for us not to be loving. I mean, guys, how we get there is really the whole ball of wax. Can I live as Christ even when I'm challenged, even when I don't have all the answers? It is why Peter said that we are to defend our faith with gentleness and respect. With gentleness and respect. Because ultimately at its core, apologetics is about reassuring folks that faith is reasonable and it's reasonable for us to share it with others for the sake of their eternities. So the purpose of this series then is to, to actually answer some of the many questions, some of the many questions, we've already received a few dozen questions that you face in your Christian journey, but there's no way we're going to get to all of them. There, there's, we could spend the whole year and we wouldn't get to all of them. So we, we're doing this in addition to help you, a second purpose, to help you learn about apologetics, to learn what sources are out there, how you can search scripture, how you can go onto the internet today, which is such an incredible gift compared to what, what the early disciples and apostles had, to find answers yourself. You know, it's the old saying, you teach someone to fish, I mean, you feed someone a fish, you feed them for a day. You teach them to fish, and you feed them for a lifetime. And the goal here in the church is not simply to give you answers, it is to grow you so that you can find the answers. That you're on this journey and you're not dependent on always looking back at somebody else to tell you what to do, that by the grace of God you are discovering how you can learn and do and deal with these things yourself. And I'm not saying you'll get all the answers, I don't have all the answers. You're gonna, you've asked some questions, I don't know what the answer is. So I, I want to be real clear that, that that's okay. Um, we, we do this to help each of us be prepared to make a defense of our faith. And so, you know, your faith is not just simply what you come in here for an hour a week. It's something you ought to be exploring and working out all throughout your week in various kinds of ways. And always with love and always with humility. Because, again, we are no better than any of those with whom we disagree we are no better than, you know, whatever they think, whatever they, that doesn't justify poor actions on our part. And, and we need to also realize that some of these questions do not have a single clear answer for which I can just simply quote a scripture to validate my point. So, with that in mind, I want us to look at a question that m several of you asked in, in a number of different forms. We tried to pull it together um, Kind of a big picture question. What happens to individuals who have never had a chance to respond to Jesus? And again, this gets asked in a lot of ways. One way uh, I, I've heard it, maybe you've heard it. Well, what about that person in that lost tribe in the jungle somewhere that has never 
discovered modernity as we know it today, has never heard of Jesus, never heard of the Lord God in any of those things. What about them? What chance do they have? You know, are they doomed to hell because they have not put their faith in Jesus? And, and a couple of related groups, you may not have thought about it in this big picture, but in fact, some of these actually come closer to home for some of us. Is what about infants and young children, and as well as those who have significant uh, mental challenges? They themselves often haven't had the knowledge or the opportunity to welcome Christ into their lives. And, and the concern I hear getting asked that I understand is, well, it seems so uncruel, so cruel or unjust or unfair for God to condemn people to hell simply because that person never even had the chance to place their faith in Christ. How do we address that? How do we deal with that? Because there are some people out in the world around us, maybe even you, for whom that question is so overwhelming that you can't get past it to decide whether or not to put your faith in Christ. But there are a few things that we've got to kind of affirm even before we dig into it. First, anytime we ask tough questions, okay, let's not pretend we know the answer when we don't. Let's not act like I, I'm a Christian, I'm supposed to understand everything and have every answer, and even though I don't get it in my head, I'm going to tell them or I'm going to kind of quote some stuff. No, don't do that. You know, or to think that that person is crazy. They're wrong for asking. How could you ever ask that? Well, the reason they can ask it is because no one has ever talked to them about it. No one has ever shared. Or they've always been told, don't ask that question. You know, some of you grew up with that. You weren't allowed to ask some of those questions. It was like heresy to even think it. And yet, if we're honest, most of us have had some of those questions going around in our mind. And we wish somebody would deal with them. God is not asking you to say what you don't know. And God would much prefer you to be honest and say, I don't know, or I don't know how to deal with that myself. We've got to have humility as we approach these kinds of things. Next, we need to pray for wisdom and pray for the one asking. And sometimes, as is the case this morning, we're going to have to simply admit that the exact circumstance is not explicitly addressed in the Bible. I can't go to one single verse and prove to you an answer. So as we begin this morning, what do we know? Jesus, in fact, made some very exclusive claims about himself, and, and Christianity has historically affirmed these. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Now, that's a very exclusive claim. The Bible also explicitly speaks of God as a God of justice, Isaiah 30, that, that God is just. What does just mean? It means he does what is right. The Bible also tells us that God is a God of compassion and mercy and love. In Exodus 34, it says, The Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness abounding in love and faithfulness, slow to anger, merciful, gracious. Abraham asked, will not the judge of all the earth do right? And here's something you and I need to hear. God certainly will not hold us accountable for what we could not know. In fact, there are some things that you and I will never know. 
Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, The Lord our God has secrets known to no one. We are not accountable for them, but we and our children are accountable forever for all that he has revealed to us so that we may obey all the terms of these instructions. You know, every couple of years I hear someone on the media, in the media or someone will come out and say, well, we believe, we've calculated, and we know Jesus is returning on June 14th. Or Jesus is coming back on September 3rd. And people get all caught up in it and they wonder and all that. But the Bible, in the Bible, Jesus in fact says nobody knows when this is going to occur. Not even I know at this point. So we need, to, we need to listen to what God is saying and understand that there are some things that we do not know. If we did know everything, we would be God. And what did Satan tempt Eve and Adam in the beginning? If you eat of that fruit, you will be like God. You will know good and evil. You will have all the answers. And that still, that temptation is still at work. That we think somehow we ought to have all the answers. We ought to know it all. We ought to understand it all. There are some things you're not going to understand. I don't understand. I ask questions about, and you and I have to decide, is that enough to derail? Or can I love and trust enough to recognize that even when I do not have all the answers, I will still believe. At the same time, the Bible tells us that just because some people haven't received the full story about Jesus doesn't mean that they know nothing about God. In fact, the Bible states that all people have had the opportunity to see something of his power and being. In Acts 14, it says, in the past, God permitted all the nations to go their own way, but he never left them without evidence of himself and his goodness. For instance, he sends you rain and good crops and gives you food and joyful hearts. Romans 1.20, for ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, so they have no excuse for not knowing God. I mean, how many of us have looked up at a beautiful night sky? How many of us have looked at a mountain or at the seashore, and we look at that, and we are, whether we believe in God or not, we're often overwhelmed with a sense of awe. And many times we think to ourselves, there must be someone or some mind or some creator out there that did this. This is more than I can comprehend. It's there. In the Psalms it says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. In other words, they are there and they point us to God. That God is known and visible to all people, as the Bible said, through everything made. They can clearly see his invisible qualities. But the Bible goes even further, reminding us that there is also this sense of, a true sense of right and wrong that we see in all people, in all places. Now, I'm not saying everybody does it, but I am saying you can go to any nationality, you can go to any setting, and there's some things that are always right and some things that are always wrong. Regardless of whether or not they've heard of God, whether or not they've put their faith in Jesus, people have an innate sense of right and wrong. In Romans, it says even Gentiles. Now, when you see the word Gentiles in the New Testament, what that essentially means is there were, there was, there were the Jews who were people who had come up through with God from the time of Moses, and everybody else was the Gentiles. So for the vast majority of us in this room today, we're Gentiles. Gentiles is a very broad, very generic term that there are only today a few million Jews in the world 
And for all the rest of us, we're Gentiles. So he says, even Gentiles who do not have God's written law show that they know his law when they instinctively obey it, even without having heard it. They demonstrate that God's law is written in their hearts for their own conscience and thoughts either accuse them or tell them they are doing wrong. Now, again, that doesn't mean that everybody automatically follows their conscience in such a way that they could not or have not sinned because it's clear everybody has. Our consciences aren't perfect either. But the simple reality of this shows us that God has been working in all people, in all places, and he will judge each person by what they do with what they have, not according to what they had no opportunity for. In Romans 2, 6, it says, he will judge everyone according to what they have done. Now, th- this isn't simply talking about doing good. Well, and some people want to say, well, it's, that's how I become a good Christian is, is I do good. That's not the point. In fact, that's wrong. Christianity has never first and foremost been about doing good. Christianity has been, is always a been about having a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And out of that relationship, out of that trusting him, then we strive to live in ways that honor him. When Moses gave the law, the people of Israel were already in a covenant with him. We, we begin with a relationship. From there, then, how do we live it out? The law tells us how to live it out. Too often we take the law and we try to make it the entryway. If I can do these things, enough good things, God will weigh me on the scale and I'll come out okay. That's not biblical. That's wrong. Culture as a whole thinks that's what Christianity is about. That is blatantly false. And if you believe that or you think that, you need to dig deeper. Because that is not Christianity. It is about a relationship with God. And, and yet it appears that some, there must be, has to be some degree of faith or trust or commitment as to, with what we know or what we understand, even when that knowledge is limited. Another aspect of this relates to those who died during the time of the Old Testament, who, who knew about God, clearly, but had little or no knowledge of Jesus himself. Here's what's interesting. Jesus clearly indicates in the New Testament that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who lived 2,000 years before him, were in heaven already. Jesus said, many Gentiles will come from all over the world, from east and west, and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob at the feast in the kingdom of heaven. At the feast in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says, he says this, he, he's, he had clearly not yet died for our sins. So the Bible indicates that his sacrifice on the cross wasn't just for those who made a decision to trust him after his death and resurrection. Hebrews 10 says, when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. It would appear that Christ's death was, was effective not only for those of faith who came after him, but listen, also for those who had come before, for all people, as Scripture says, for all time. And, and some scholars suggest, and I, I, will, I will confess to you, I agree with this, that because God is the creator, our creator, that just as he created the heavens and the earth, he also created time. Time is a creation, Itself, In fact, we think of it as the fourth dimension. And therefore, the creator, if he created it, he's not bound by it. 
He, he, in essence, all time, past, present, or future, is the eternal present to God. And he stands outside of time so that Christ's death occurring in time at a specific time and at a specific place has not been bound by time in order to offer the merits of his death to all people for all time. So we see that there were clearly some who lacked absolute knowledge about Christ who are in heaven with him. But, but let me add this. We, we, at the same time, the Bible is not saying that all roads, therefore, lead to God. Peter said, for Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says the stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Jesus himself said, as we already saw, no one can come to the Father except through me. There is no substitute for a clear presentation of the good news of Jesus Christ. We, we know that when they have heard the good news and they've made a decision to accept it, that they have eternity with him. If they reject it, then they have made, I think, a fatal error. For many centuries, Christians have rationalized, in fact, during the Middle Ages and all that, there was no need to preach the gospel to those who couldn't hear about Christ. Thankfully, over the last few hundred years, the missionary movement has become an international effort to, to give everyone on the face of the planet the opportunity to hear for themselves about Jesus because then the way to salvation is clear. In fact, there are, we know that there are a few thousand languages out there. Do you know most of those languages have been translated into English primarily for the purpose of writing the Bible in their native language so that others could understand and, and use that as a tool in their growth of faith. There are organizations, ministries out there that that's all they do is they find unknown people groups and they go in and translate God's word into their language. Some do undertake mission because they believe that those who don't hear about Christ are doomed to hell. That is that belief does exist among some within Christianity, but all of us believe that because there is no question of eternity for those who have accepted Christ in their lives, that, that being about evangelism is critically important to what we do. But at the same time, and I said this early on, I'm going to say it again, with all humility, we can't know all God does all God does when he does it. It's interesting, in Acts chapter 10, it tells of a Gentile named Cornelius who did not follow Christ at that time, but who had an angel come to him and prepare him to welcome Christ into his life. I mean, we can't, we certainly can't, we won't say that all people are just automatically saved, that there's some kind of universal salvation. The Bible does not say that. But we know that God is seeking after all people and revealing himself some, in unique, sometimes even mysterious, direct ways. I have read, some of you have read, that there are accounts of individuals alive today in various parts of our world who never read or heard about Jesus, who received a vision of him, direct, personally. Jesus said, keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. Paul declared his desire to always seek out those who had never heard so that they could for sure experience the salvation of Jesus Christ in this life 
as well as the life to come. Paul said, my ambition has always been to preach the good news where the name of Christ has never been heard. So many, but admittedly, certainly not all, followers of Jesus Christ have chosen to believe that there is hope for the members, if you will, of that unknown tribe in the jungle as they respond to what God has in his sovereignty revealed to them. And yet we would all say that if any are given a chance to hear about Jesus and respond in faith, then there is no question of their eternal destiny. And that's why world missions and evangelism are so critically important. Now, there's a, I mentioned earlier a related question to the tribe is the plight of unborn children and infants and children who die before they can hear of, much less understand, the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Likewise, what about those who are so mentally challenged that they don't have the capacity to, to understand or respond? And I, let me tell you, this part of this overall question for some of you is very personal, is very real. And I don't, I'm not for a moment taking this lightly. I want to affirm that there are some of you that this is where you are. This is, you have experienced this and our heart goes out to you. It breaks for that, that, that difficulty. It's very emotional. And first, we need to recognize that sin is not just acts of doing wrong, but a state of our being that separates us from God, all human beings. Every human being, no matter what point they are in their journey, stands in the need of God's grace. And apart from his grace, no one can be or is saved. So even infants and the, the mentally challenged, members of that lost tribe, stand in the same position that all of us do in that sense that only God's grace can save any of us. It says in Ephesians 2.8, God saved you by his grace. When you believed, and you can't take credit for it, it's a gift from God. Now, the Bible, again, doesn't explicitly talk about babies or the mentally challenged, but, but they haven't, for those who haven't known enough to believe, yet the Bible does give us some helpful clues. From the life of David, who lived a thousand years before Jesus, in 2 Samuel, we read that in, in, in the lieu of his, in light of his adulterous affair with Bathsheba, a child was to be born. And that child died within a few days after birth. And, and, and during that time, David prayed and prayed for his survival. But after the, the child's death, David showed remarkable comfort and poise. And, and the Bible tells us that David was a man after God's own heart. He was a man who was very connected to God in ways that many of us don't know, even as he sinned at times. And yet he was always seeking ultimately what God would want. And David said, why should I fast when he is dead? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him one day, but he cannot return to me. Elsewhere, we read in the Bible in a, a number of places where it's clear that David does end up going to heaven. So the, the clear implication in this passage in 2 Samuel is that David's child was already there when David said that, where David would be someday. Another passage in Isaiah 7 alludes to what some have called an age of accountability when children are old enough to understand for themselves the reality of sin, its consequences, and then the necessity of the remedy of Jesus Christ. Now, again, it's not clearly spelled out. 
In fact, in Christianity, that age has never been defined. In Judaism, it has been believed that at the age of 13 for a boy and at the age of either 13 or some, some say 12, they can become full members of the community of faith, and so at that point they are responsible for their sins. The, the scripture says, by the time this child is old enough to choose what is right and reject what is wrong... Through the centuries, many have suggested that this must probably be the time approaching puberty as children begin thinking for themselves. You know, it it is a time when when they're very young. Children often parrot what their parents believe and think. They, They don't know how to separate themselves. But as they begin to grow and begin to understand their identity, they begin to then think for themselves. That's why sometimes we pull our hair out about the teenage years because there are always these questions. They are supposed to be asking questions. That's normal. That's natural. Because they're trying to discern who they are. And so historically, that has been the time most people think around there when this, is, this age of accountability is coming to an end. Uh, Luke, or Jesus also pointed to children having a special place in the kingdom. And, and by extension, those who are mentally challenged, whose thinking level never progresses beyond that of a young child. In Luke 18, it says, one day some parents brought their little children to Jesus so he could touch and bless them. But when the disciples saw this, they scolded the parents for bothering him. Then Jesus called for the children and said to the disciples, let the children come to me. Don't stop them, for the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. It's one of the reasons we offer dedications, like you saw at the beginning of our service this morning as a way of reminding the family, reminding all of us, that while it certainly seems that infants and children, uh, unable to make any concrete decisions on their own, uh, in whatever state they're in, are, are at this point a part of God's kingdom, at some point, if mental capacity grows, protection is no longer there unless they then welcome Christ into their lives as their Savior and Lord. It's why our Gateway Kids ministry, our student ministries, are so important to come alongside you. Just as we said this morning with this family, to come alongside them and walk with them in this journey. It's why we offer kids and students opportunities to make that decision for themselves, especially in settings like Summer Kids Club or camps, which are coming up here in just a few weeks. It's why your service in our kids' ministry, in our student ministries, is so important. Because you then live out your God-given responsibility to help others on this journey, particularly the ones who are most vulnerable, who most need love and encouragement in this setting. And, And who knows, God may give you the opportunity to, in fact, be a part of a decision that a child makes, your child or another child. Our whole community of faith works together for the sake of our children. You, just because you're older doesn't mean you don't have responsibility. If you believe that you do not understand the biblical faith as spelled out in God's word, that we are accountable to one another, we encourage one another, we help one another, and particularly those who are most needing our help We are called to step out of our comfort zones, to be there, to be used by God. Don't ever think you have no responsibility to others around you. You have have bought into the lie of Satan. Every single one of us who has trusted Christ has a calling. It may not be the same as everyone else, but, 
but live it out. Don't listen to the lies. Our whole community is together on this. We have to be. The, the, the world around us, the culture we live in, the things that are happening, the pressures on family are so enormous that if you and I are not seeking to come alongside one another, people will be overwhelmed. And it is a tough world today. And, and, you know, when I was a kid, or those who grew up in the middle part of the 20th century, Christian values were much more the norm. Today, you're laughed at many times for the Christian values. Many of you are scared to even broach in certain settings that you are interested in or you follow Jesus because the culture is getting so negative. It's the first century all over again. And like then, we are still called to be prepared to make a defense of our faith. Because here's the thing, for whatever reason, today's question, for instance, God has not chosen to be explicit. And yet, as I read this past week and looked through a lot of sources, it appears to me that, that most Christ followers have reached the conclusion I shared with you this morning, that God somehow, for those who have no other means, God provides a way. But when you and I help others meet Jesus personally, in workplace, in our families, in our children's area, whatever the case may be, we open them to a way that will never fail, that will enable them to confidently experience unity with Christ. It's on all of our shoulders. It's not just on mine. Mine aren't that big. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're in that boat. And you don't have to have all the answers. You can't have all the answers. But you can love. To defend the faith with respect and gentleness. To be the hands, the feet, the voice of Christ who went out of his way to be around those who the culture looked down upon, who said weren't worth anything. He welcomed them into his midst. And we're called to do exactly the same. To love as Jesus loved us. I don't deserve that. You say, well, you're a preacher. (laughs) I don't deserve it. It is by the grace of God And that is true for every one of us and everyone we encounter. And I hope and I pray that you will be open to whatever possibilities God gives you. And in the coming week, yes, we'll answer more questions. But we'll also show you how you can look for answers yourself. How you can gain some confidence. But ultimately, you have to do it. You don't gain confidence by not doing Will you get it always right? No, I don't get it always right. But our God is big enough that when our hearts are seeking to do the right thing, he's not gonna leave someone abandoned. We do this together. We do this for the sake of our world. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you that your grace really is sufficient for our every need, that you love us in spite of all the things that we can, we can think about, even just since we got up this morning that we've done wrong. We know that you love every single person on this planet. There are no exceptions, none. And while we don't understand all the ways that you work, 
Father, we stand before you this morning and we pray that you will use us the best we can in the circumstances we find ourselves to be of use for you. And though there's some things we don't have answers for, there's some, there's some settings and some things that we, we don't get even. We will choose to trust you in spite of all of that. But that's what trust is, is continuing to, to follow and believe even when we don't have all the answers. We don't have all the answers. But we believe you are God and you love us and you have a plan and we want to join in. Here I am, Lord. Send me. May we all pray those words that Isaiah prayed in Isaiah 6. Here I am, Lord, send me. Amen and amen. Our prayer team is down here. We'll be down here if you have questions. Trust God. Go this week. Let him use you to make a difference. God bless you. To learn you more next. about us, visit www.gateway-community.org. Welcome to your journey.